It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Jacob Feldman, and I'm the only one here. And this is the direct-to-consumer sports business podcast, The Sportacast. Uh, welcome back. As Scott and Edmund promised, they are both on vacation today, and so I am in charge. But uh, don't change the dial too quickly. I'm not actually here alone. You're not actually inside my head with my private thoughts. I brought on uh, somebody who, as soon as I found out I got this opportunity to take over the Sportacast, was the person I wanted to have on to talk about everything that's going on in the world of sports and streaming. And that's Julia Alexander, the director of strategy at Parrot Analytics, one of the most authoritative experts on everything streaming in the entertainment industry and someone I've been following and learning from on this topic for, for years now and excited to, to get to chat uh, today. Julia, how are things? Good. Thank you so much for that lovely intro. I'm so excited to be here. <laughs> oh, no, no. Uh, totally our pleasure to have you. And, and Julia, again, one of the other reasons that, that I wanted to have you on is because as I've been reading what you're writing at Puck and, and listening to what you're saying on your own podcast on Downstream, it, it's a lot of sports talk uh, all of a sudden. You know, it's, it's a lot of ESPN. It's a lot of Pac-12. And I'm curious, amid everything else you have going on that you're tracking in this world, whether it's multiple strikes, whether it's the Barbenheimer moment, it's mergers, launches, rebrands, you name it. How much is the larger entertainment industry right now looking at what's going on with sports, with sports rights, and with sports streaming? I would say it is the most important story of mm. this generation of media. <laughs> and two yeah. core reasons for that, right, before we even really get into it, two core reasons mm -hmm. are, on the one hand, when you look at the entertainment companies, many of which own sports channels, Disney owns ESPN, you know, you've got Warner Brothers Discovery with TNT. When we think about how these entertainment conglomerates are operating, sports is really the key revenue driver within that pay TV bundle. And then they can simulcast a lot of those, those games and that coverage to their broadcast partners. If you're Disney as an ABC, right? And NBC mm -hmm. has used to have NBC sports uh, and, and now <laughs> kind of has it's, it's, it's NBC and Peacock. When you think about what that revenue did for their ability to kind of expand into streaming and to really siphon a lot of that mm -hmm. revenue to kind of pay off a lot of the cost of what streaming was sports was central to that expansion effort but i would say even more importantly to the story of sport is this idea that the pay tv bundle it still is but it was large it was a large point you know the main thing for reach if you were the nba or the nfl or the mlb if you were any major league you know the nhl you needed to be on some form of linear television because that had the largest reach whether that was pay as in cable or, or premium cable or whether that was broadcast as in kind of uh, on ABC, NBC, CBS, whatever it might be. The idea was you were gonna reach a larger audience there than anywhere else. And I think the big question with streaming and sports and linear media can be boiled down to one big question, revenue versus reach. 
And this mm -hmm. is not only a big moment for the media rights owners, for these conglomerates, but it's also a big moment for the leagues who are trying to figure out how to appeal to 12-year-old fans of today who will be 32-year-old fans, 32 fans in 20 years. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you said that because I do want to get to, at some point in this conversation, just how big of a risk, how big, how much danger lies in, in this moment for, for sports as we try to make this transition and, and capture a new generation. Before we get into that, just for people who aren't following these things in day in and day out, like like we are, like you know, for for better or for worse, I, I wanted to quickly run down as best I could what's happening in in the last couple of weeks in in this space. And you know, us writers, we love a rule of three. You see three things all of a sudden, it's a trend story. It's it's been a lot more than three here. So quickly as as quickly as I can, the Pac-12, you know, as, as many people know, collapsed uh, after turning down a streaming-based deal from Apple, failing to get a bigger deal from other networks. Disney CEO Bob Iger is recommitted to moving ESPN direct to consumer in the next couple of years, hopefully finding a strategic partner to do that. Uh, at the same time, they're selling their brand rights to Penn Entertainment so it can launch ESPN Bet. Uh, and meanwhile, Penn's getting out of the barstool business. We talked a little bit about that last week. NFL is taking NFL Network and Red Zone direct to consumer as part of NFL Plus. Uh, and that's weeks before YouTube begins airing Sunday Ticket exclusively. The NBA's Phoenix Suns and Utah Jazz are preparing to launch their own local streaming services. As the regional network model faces unprecedented turbulence, Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslov confirmed that sports are coming soon to the Max streaming service, uh, while Aaron Rodgers is starring on Hard Knocks on Netflix. Meanwhile, uh, the quarterback show reached number one in its first season there, and, and Netflix is preparing to its first live sporting event, which is going to be a golf competition this fall. Uh, and then lastly, the Premier League returned this weekend here in the U.S., and with two matches on cable by my count, I think one on broadcast and nine uh, on Peacock. And so all of a sudden we're seeing this extreme shift. Almost every streaming service is wondering what their sports strategy is. And almost every sport is wondering what their streaming strategy is. So, so we'll talk about why that's happening all of a sudden right now. And like you said, we'll talk about how dangerous this could be. But first, Julie, I wanted to start with ESPN. You know, you can't say sports without ESPN right now. And, and you can't talk about what's happening without looking at Disney and ESPN. Why is ESPN facing so much turbulence uh, it seems like week after week, it's a new headline about how they're trying to handle this new era. It's a little bit of a chicken ver a chicken and egg situation, right? It's this idea that ESPN is still lucrative for Disney. If we look mm -hmm. at if you look at any earnings report within Disney, the biggest revenue sector remains the media networks. The mm -hmm. issue is that when we look at year over year performances, whether that's an increase or a decay on the revenue side and kind of the usage side, when you look at something like Disney Plus or Disney streaming in general, I should say, you see these nice revenue growth, you see this nice increase in uh, adoption from consumers. So even though they're in the red, you are kind of closing that deficit by doing a bunch of different activities, spending less, you know, increasing prices, licensing out more content. So they're figuring out how to get into the black. If you look at parks, parks remains this kind of stable business. The only time it wasn't stable was during the <laughs> pandemic. Uh, when nothing was stable, right? When, when nothing was stable. Uh, and so now they're kind of seeing people come back in droves. And so they're increasing prices there a little bit and kind of figuring out ways to really monetize all their content. When you look at the media network's revenue, again, the most lucrative part of Disney's entire empire, they're mm -hmm. seeing decreases in revenue year over year between, you know, 20%, 25%, 26% on the operating income. This is really concerning. And if you are <laughs> Bob Iger and his team, rightfully so, you're going, well, we don't want to be the car driving off the cliff. We want to be able to <laughs> figure out a way to build a bridge before we get to that end point. So the bridge in this situation is streaming. The problem mm -hmm. is if you look at the breakdown of how these businesses operate. I want to be very clear. 
the greatest invention in business history was the cable package. It yeah. like it 25, 30% profit margins on a low cost initiative compared to those profit margins are comparable to like the oil industry, but the oil <laughs> industry has to spend more on digging on if we think about right. what they're putting into the cost of it. So the cable package is great. This ESPN by 2010, 2011, ESPN was printing money, right? Because what happened within that cable mm -hmm. bundle, even if you didn't want uh, ESPN, you were paying for some form of cable, so Disney was making some money off of it. And if you did want to pay for ESPN, they figured out ways to get you to pay for even more ESPN, <laughs> to charge the carriers for more ESPN. And that was called ESPN2, ESPN3, ESPN4, mm -hmm. right? And so they figured out ways <laughs> to do this. The ability for Disney to acquire Marvel, to acquire Star Wars, to acquire a Lucasfilm, rather, all these different companies came in part because cable was making so much money. That was 2011. By 2016, things had changed. And I will mm -hmm. say this. The problem with a lot of these companies now saying that they have to go to streaming is that they chopped off their own foot, right? <laughs> they said, we're going to follow Netflix. And I want to be very clear here. Mm -hmm. In many ways, they had to. In many ways, mm -hmm. the idea right. of, of viewership and attention shifting to an over-the-internet, so streaming type economy was going to happen no matter what. The way it's been going about, which is we're going to take all of our content that we think is highly differentiated to launch our own streaming platform, to now become a content programmer, a distributor, and a tech company, when prior <laughs> to that, they were only one and making money off selling to the other two, made it really expensive. And so what Disney quickly learned is that our content beyond Marvel and Star Wars is not that differentiated. You look at Disney Plus, mm -hmm. they have not just a slowdown growth, sorry, not just a, uh, a slowdown in their growth over the last couple of quarters in the United States, which is where their highest level of average revenue per user is. They have active decline. And the year before that, they were stagnant. They mm -hmm. tried to launch in India, then decided we don't really wanna be there, lost 12 million <laughs> customers. No big deal. They're not making a lot of money on those customers. But you get the idea. So ESPN, yeah. long-winded answer, but important to set up. ESPN yeah, is this last money maker for Disney. It is this mm -hmm. idea of if we take ESPN and offer to people a direct-to-consumer offering, we can do two things. We can either charge a ton of money and people who really want to watch Monday Night Football and want to watch some baseball games and want to watch other events <laughs> are going to right. come and pay for access to that. And two, we can bundle this with Hulu and Disney Plus, I know what you're thinking. You're right. It's just cable. <laughs> They're like, we'll make a mini cable and we'll increase the prices for everyone who wants access to this. We'll make ESPN our, 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 our little anchor. The problem is that when ESPN was part of a larger cable bundle, ESPN did not have to have all the sports. It had to have mm -hmm. enough sports. So that way people who are interested in ESPN and TNT and all these other platforms, all these other channels could go, sure. I'm gonna pay you know, $300, $400 for this because I want access to it. ESPN by itself means that Disney needs to have many of the sports and that gets mm -hmm. incredibly expensive when the leagues themselves are saying, we're gonna increase the price of our media rights because we know we're that valuable. Yeah, and that's a perfect way of setting it up and really gets to what I'm most curious about is what ESPN is in a streaming world, what it looks like, what the value is because if it is just a matter of you know who has you know the the, the teams that i want to watch then i'm curious what what the brand of, of espn if that has any any value you think if there is anyone that's saying you know i'm an espn fan i'm going to subscribe to espn and, and watch what they have um rather than saying you know okay what do i need to watch my local teams 
I think this is a great example of why Disney wants to partner with the leagues. Mm -hmm. If there is a vested interest from the leagues in ESPN succeeding, because that is where they have part of their equity deal set up. And, and like, let's be clear, this is not out of the norm, right? Like the NBA had a deal with FanDuel, if I remember correctly, and it was an equity deal. And so they figure things out. The NBA talking to ESPN as reported by a lot of great reporters, that's not too surprising to me. When I read that, though, my initial reaction is, well, that deal is way better for ESPN than the NBA. <laughs> the NBA right. can go and take their games, split them up into a bunch of different packages, sell them off for two times what they're worth to different buyers, mm -hmm. including Amazon, Apple, and Google. And mm -hmm. more importantly, can now take these internationally on streaming and say, hey, we're going to try to reach an audience in different ways that even with ESPN kind of international or, or Disney international might not have been as successful. For Disney, you get enough of the leagues to buy in. Not only are you going to guarantee yourself access to those games, and again, if you have partners in three or four of the top leagues and you have teams from all three or four of the top leagues, you get closer to saying, we're going to have many sports. Add in mm. F1, add in cycling, add in some other, mm -hmm. I don't want to call them niche, but smaller mm -hmm. sports. Sure. Smaller sure, sure. sports that have an active audience, tennis, mm -hmm. and are willing to say, hey, we'll pay for that. You get to a point where you can maybe say, okay, we're going to charge $40, $40 a month, you know, $35 a month for ESPN. We're going to have a majority of what we think people are going to be interested in. And so we don't necessarily have to worry about churn because we're going to have it all year round. We're going to have the customer acquisition and we're going to have the revenue needed for those customers. And we're going to be in equity deals with the leagues. So in terms of what we're actually paying them, they're still going to be paying a lot. They still need to figure out how to create that revenue to pay for it. But there's this bit of like, well, we're in this together. We're all trying to succeed. Here's where I think it gets concerning if you are a Disney watcher, if you're a, a sports media watcher, if you are even to an extent potentially a consumer. We know that Disney had their deal with Penn, so now they're creating uh, Disney Bet, if I remember that name correctly, mm -hmm. or ESPN Bet. ESPN they're creating ESPN Bet, Bet yeah. where you can go in and bet on some teams. Betting in the United States, sports betting taking off, no one is uh, uh, ignorant of that fact. But if you're ESPN, so you're carrying the games, now you're partnering with a betting platform, fine, that makes a ton of sense to me. <laughs> and then you're now in with having equity deals with the leagues. I think there's a thing where it's like, well, what games are ESPN getting? Is ESPN getting that the other companies are not getting? And that would be an active concern if I was Warner Brothers Discovery, Amazon, Apple. The way it is right now for a lot of leagues is there's um, effectively like a draw and then they get to pick which games they want on the national channels versus mm -hmm. the RSNs. And so if you're partnering with ESPN, you as a league, or sorry, you as another media partner may be concerned. The other issue with ESPN is that if you don't have a lot of those, those partnerships, you don't have most of the games, there's no reason for people to really sign up for ESPN, especially year round. Maybe they mm -hmm. sign up for a month and they're like, oh, well, this works for me. It's, you know, getting towards the end of football season and I'll watch Monday Night Football <laughs> now and that's great. But otherwise, I don't really care. Now you're making less revenue because you have a higher churn rate and you're still not capturing the entire audience. So you say, okay, we're going to bring it into the Disney bundle. But now your Disney bundle is going from $20 to maybe $50. And if you're not interested in sports, if you're a Disney family or Marvel fan or Star Wars fan who says, I don't really care about that, I'm not going to get it. And so there's all these different pricing options that confuse consumers. Pricing and willingness to pay is the most important discussion in any any business, especially media businesses. And with ESPN specifically, it seems like this great asset. And it is. There, I don't think Disney should spin it off. I think it's a great asset. Mm -hmm. But it's a very confusing play in streaming, which is why mm -hmm. I think they're taking their time 
moving mm. it over away from pay TV. If pay TV is still a very healthy situation for them. It's declining, but it's healthy in terms of the revenue it's bringing in. And they need that revenue to offset their losses in streaming right now. Right. You've hit on, I think the two key things there. Absolutely. The first is like you're saying, they can't sacrifice. I think I saw the first half of this year, Disney's cable networks, which is led by ESPN and, and all of its siblings, uh, was $3 billion in, in profit. And like you're saying, that's driving you know, the, 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 the movie budgets, all these other budgets that they're trying to expand upon and adding IP and all of those sorts of things. So that, that's one. And then the other thing that's so fascinating to me is that five years ago, ESPN was the one in the power position saying, you know, if, you, if the NHL, if you want to get in front of fans, you better do a deal with us. UFC, if you want to get in front of fans, you better do a deal with us. ESPN was the megaphone. And now all of a sudden they're kind of on the other side of the table saying we we need this stuff so so we can survive and 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 it's just it's fascinating to me because when you're sitting on the couch and watching a game i I think it seems similar but when you think about the economics that are behind what's getting that game onto your tv it really has totally taken a lot of power away from from these networks and espn being the biggest one a lot of power away from them i think it also explains a lot of the big paydays we've seen for pat mcafee or stephen a smith it's like what do we have that people uh, know or are attached to and how do we? How can we continue to bridge this audience? Bridge is a, a great metaphor there to, to the next uh, to the next platform. You mentioned ESPN, but I wanted to ask a little bit of your your thoughts on that because it, it is again kind of an interesting middle ground here of them not going all in on this. They're not operating a sports wagering business the way Fox even is um, with, with Fox Bet. They're going to try to launch something new. It sounds like, um, but but they are putting their name on something, and, and fans are going to think. Uh, that this is ESPN's product because it kind of is. So what impact do you think that'll have on the way people look at ESPN as, as a brand, given that they're now getting into sports betting after sitting somewhat on the sidelines for a few years now? I don't think it'll move the needle of interest or disinterest or mm. acceptance or critiquing in the minds of people who don't care that much about ESPN and sports in general. Like I think mm-hmm. in general, I think about my parents who I love them, but they are not sports people in the slightest. Uh, And somehow my brother and I grew to be huge sports people, but they (laughs) are not. And so I think if you told them, you know, ESPN is kind of partnering with this betting company. And so they're going to, they're going to create a sports book and they would kind of say, okay, like like, (laughs) that's great. I think if you talk to people who actively bet uh, and who might be interested, I think Penn is almost a safe, Play. It almost in many ways feels, and this is, I, I'm going to use this word, but I don't mean it the way it's going to sound, almost like a fail play. And I, I don't mean that it's going to fail for Disney. I mean mm-hmm. that if you're looking at who you'd really want to partner with, if you're really getting the sports betting, it's not Penn, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. you look at all the other sporting bets companies and they do better on, on average than Penn does. And it's this idea of their uh, consumers are aware of them. Consumers are using them. Younger people are definitely more aware of them. And I think with Penn, it almost feels like this was a deal that we were going to get. We have a lot of control in this deal, it seems like, based on kind of the wording, based on some things that I've understood from other analysts in the space. And so for Disney, it's a bit of a win and a thing that they had to do. Like they, they, I think mm-hmm. Disney realized if we're going to get into streaming, if we're really going to push there, and we know that Bob Iger mm-hmm. on this call said that the three pillars of Disney mm-hmm. are effectively now studios, streaming, which would include ESPN and parks. So if they say we're really going to get into streaming, a big part of that means we're getting into interactivity, we're getting mm. into uh, consumer desire, not just consumer need, we're getting into ways to differentiate ourselves. So I think what you said about Stephen A. Smith is a really important topic. You know, if I'm Amazon or if I'm Google 
and I have Twitch and YouTube and I have sports rights, I don't see any reason other than potential league conversations, which would be part of the negotiations, where I wouldn't mm -hmm. have huge Twitch streamers or YouTube casters go in and simulcast these games, right? Totally. These, the, the idea of like, hey, you're trying to reach a younger audience if you're a league, especially if you're the MLB, right? The NBA's mm -hmm. got a really young audience, so they actually don't necessarily need to appeal to the young audience, but they want to continue growing it and monetize that audience. If you're ESPN and you're Disney, you're trying to figure out, well, how do we differentiate a lot of our content on a streaming platform that we might not be able to do on linear. And so these, how can we move more people over to the streaming service? And betting is definitely one way to do it. I think finding younger uh, sportscasters who can also go in and who can kind of simulcast from ESPN or whatever it might be, to, but, but draw them back to the ESPN platform. Maybe you do half the game or whatever it is, you figure something out that brings people mm -hmm. back to ESPN. I think this is the moment that Disney has always really struggled with, and they've, right. wrote, they've, they've smartly figured out how to do technological innovation through partners, right? So Disney mm -hmm. under Bob Iger many, many years ago in his first run, kind of figured out that he, they under Iger were not great at gaming. And so what, mm -hmm. what Iger very smartly did, in my opinion, at the time, was we're gonna mm -hmm. license out Star Wars characters, Marvel characters to companies like EA, right? Electronic Arts. We're gonna do mm -hmm. big bets with them. They've got really great AAA studios that we can do these great games. And I think if you had asked a lot of Star Wars fans where the best Star Wars stories are coming from right now, it's not Disney, it's, it's gaming. It's the gaming universe. Disney has always partnered with uh, Apple. So you kind of see what they're doing with Apple's new VR headset and how Disney right. envisions ESPN kind of fitting in there. And I think what Disney has always struggled with, which is going to be a prominent issue with ESPN and streaming in general, is how do you appeal to a younger, interactive, highly uh, intimately engaged audience with the content and the platforms that they're using? And it can't just be, well, you have the sport. That's important. But when everyone else now has sports of the same sport because the leagues are dividing up the packages, now it's mm -hmm. like, well, how do we compete with Amazon and Apple? And how are they doing things really interestingly? How is how are the RSNs doing things really interesting? Like, how can we lift from what they're doing and bring them over to what we're doing to actually offer something of value at that high price point for a lot of these customers? Who, by the way, the people who are going to sign up for ESPN OTT are not going to be the ESPN linear audience, right? Like that audience mm. is there. They're happy. They're like, they're not leaving it. So it's mm -hmm. your attempt to find new sports fans, maybe a conversion rate of 10%, but you're going to have new fans come in and say, I will pay for ESPN now because it has this, but I don't have to feel like my parents ESPN. You have <laughs> the game. Amazing. What else are you doing to keep me there after that game? No, I, I think that's totally right. And, and it's interesting making that connection to the larger Disney challenge on that front because it has, ESPN has a lot of other assets, right? Uh, millions of people play fantasy football. Millions of people do the March Madness pools on, on ESPN. You know, Streak for the Cash was a big thing back in its day. They've been able to build some of these interactive elements, but putting the full package together, making ESPN feel like a place sports fans go whether it's you know the social element to hang out, to talk to each other, to to, to bet on games, to to build you know any kind of identity there is something that they haven't really done going back to you know ESPN Zone or ESPN the phone of, of really trying to expand these things and it's something I I think a lot of sports brands have struggled with I, I know you've written or at least tweeted about in the past you know the Athletic and and kind of the, how it could do more to be more of a membership rather than just content and I think this this ESPN bet is maybe a step in that direction of recognizing everyone is recognizing straight media plays straight you pay me for some content is not really a business model that works it doesn't really work on, on youtube if you're a creator it doesn't really work if, if you're a tv network you need to be 
more holistic. And we're seeing, I, I think the brands that are doing that best uh, or maybe most uh, in, in sports right now are DraftKings and, and Fanatics. Both are saying, okay, you can bet with us. You can buy sports cards here. You, we'll sell you a t-shirt. Uh, we're going to do events. Uh, and, and kind of, and, and Barstool probably fits in that category too, right? They're, they're looking at all those forms of monetization. So maybe just something ESPN can learn there too and say, what else can we be doing once you're inside or to get you um, inside? I think that makes a ton of sense. And and last thing on, on just ESPN, because I really want to reiterate, I think it's so mm-hmm. crucial to this conversation is there's maybe a world, and it's really hard for me to envision, but I, I never say never. I've learned that as an analyst. Uh, <laughs> there's maybe a world in which ESPN as an OTT gets to 15%, 20% profit margin. But mm-hmm. as far as I can tell from right now, ESPN really benefited, if not the most, then by one of the <laughs> most comp- networks that benefit the most from the pay TV package and how, and mm-hmm. the tax, the socialistic tax, I always refer to it as, that came with it, <laughs> where you got money even if people weren't watching you. And ESPN, because they had 110 million you know, customers in 2011, was benefiting from it quite heavily because they could charge higher affiliate revenue. And so the idea of that going away, and that, that's why I don't think, by the way, ESPN will go fully OTT, as in like the linear network will cease to exist. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like the linear network will continue to exist, whether it exists under Disney Right mm-hmm. or Disney mm-hmm. sells that aspect versus the 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 OTT and they figure out deal with the content, but that gets really complicated. I think right. that will continue to be a, a healthy part of the pay TV until pay TV eventually goes away, which may not be for twenty more years. Right. So yeah. this idea yeah. of the OTT platform is that it's going to be a very 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 hard product to get off the ground and 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 get into the black. Uh, and I just want to be very clear about that because I think everyone views it as this hope for Disney. And I think it's certainly something that Disney feels committed to. And I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it goes for them. But the mm-hmm. the placement of ESPN within that pay TV bundle was a fantastic asset for Disney and continues to be. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think maybe this is the best transition to, to make then is, you know, if ESPN is facing this, this turbulence, this question of what it looks like three to five years from now, I'm, I'm curious what you think that means for sports uh, writ large you know there was an article new york times i think it was last year the headline was basically will streaming sports will streaming save sports or, or kill sports and i think i'm to me that's that's still an open question and it probably sounds um over dramatic but i want to start apocalyptic and then we can work our way backwards so is there a chance people just stop watching sports in this new world that they say it's too expensive it's too complicated to figure out where it is it's it's not on my time like everything else is it's slow and boring and these games are long it's what my grandparents did is is there a word people turn the page on sports do you think so this gets back to that initial question you and I were talking about at the very beginning of this podcast. I think everything mm-hmm. within sports as a landscape, down to media rights, but also including sports writ at large, is reach mm-hmm. versus revenue. Because this is the mm-hmm. question that is going to define a lot of what happens with sports. And it's a very hard question. By the way, if anyone says they have the answer, they do not. <laughs> like, no one has the answer to this question. Because the problem is... The revenue, I mean, if we go, if we go as many, as many, many, many locals we can, right? The RSNs are going, mm-hmm. the regional sports networks are going through this incredibly turbulent, potentially end of days moment, which is that they are just not as effective in a pay TV bundle that is losing customers. And the idea of people tuning into local sports for market, for smaller markets where their teams aren't performing as strongly creates a lot of issues in terms of people watching those games so the media rights go down media rights for mlb pay for like 30 percent of a team's revenue and then the other big part of that revenue 
comes from uh, attendance at games. And this is again, like, like the whole thing with sports right now feels very chicken versus egg. Streaming, mm. do we go to streaming? Do we get out of linear? <laughs> do we go for revenue over reach? What do we do with the games? If people aren't watching the sport on TV, are they going to as many games? With baseball, you have the advantage of people like going to baseball games. People like right. going to it's sit outside, beer, weather's nice, outside. friends are there. Yeah. Exactly. So they'll go and watch a game and it's in the summer. So you're like, oh, I'll do this over the summer. <laughs> Hockey, <laughs> basketball, right? Like there's other sports where if people aren't necessarily watching as much, they might not be as inclined to go to a game. Also, the cost of all these things is increasing. Number mm -hmm. one in every single situation, whether it's attendance at theaters, attendance at concerts, attendance at sporting events, if you draw a line, I was doing this over the weekend, if you draw mm -hmm. a line between the increase in the cost of these types of events over the last 20 to 25 years versus the line of, in, uh, of inflation and then versus the average uh, monthly salary or annual salary that most Americans are taking in, it's like cost is way up. Salary right. is kind of increasing, but this idea <laughs> is that everything is getting more expensive. So games are getting more expensive. Mm -hmm. So this is again, chicken versus egg. If you can't get people to games, are they gonna watch the team? Do they care as mm -hmm. much about that team? And I think there's no easy answer to this. I like what, I think it's the Phoenix Suns. I like what they're doing mm -hmm. by going over mm -hmm. the air. All in on reach, yeah. All in on reach. And they're basically saying we're preparing, we're, we're leaning into fandom and we're leaning into the young fans of today to hopefully become fans of tomorrow. Once they have, mm -hmm kind of disposable income because mm -hmm. their fans they'll come and watch this and they'll come and spend on it and i think the issue is that they're going to take a big revenue hit in the beginning like they're mm -hmm. going to lose out on a lot of revenue and so i think if you're an individual team in a certain market you might be able to do it but as the league as a whole like the mlb and the nba cannot necessarily say okay well we're gonna just allow for a loss of revenue in order to expand our reach because what happens then well then you got to put player caps Right, like right. player salary. The union's not going to be a big fan of that, right? And the unions don't become big fans, so you're in this really tough situation, almost akin to what's happening with SAG after and the writers and the writers right. Guild, right? Yeah, yeah, very similar. It, right, it, this, it, it, if the pie is shrinking, it's going to be a lot harder to to divvy it up. Exactly, and so, but the, the issue is that if you kind of continuously say, okay, well, we'll get the revenue that we can get by staying within the mm -hmm. PTV system. Well, now you're alienating. First of all, you're alienating cord cutters, so that includes older. Um, consumers as well people you know gen x uh within that range but you're mm -hmm. also not even alienating you're isolating young fans because they are not watching that they're not there the what i always think of it with like the reach versus revenue is your best option but you can't just do this because this gets into a whole other <laughs> issue is something like youtube right like like a youtube mm -hmm. and not youtube tv but like a youtube mm -hmm. where it's like the, 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 it's, the, it's the number one fastest growing operating system on a lot of TV. So any new TV set that's bought, people have access to YouTube. It's also what kids are watching on their phones and on their tablets. And they have the ability to, to kind of keep that nice banner ad at the very top of every video or side ad and say, hey, we're, we're streaming you know, the Warriors versus Lakers game. Right? Mm -hmm. like, you can come and watch this game. The reach would be incredible. Mm -hmm. Google clearly... Uh, via the Sunday ticket deal has proven they're happy to overspend uh, on, on <laughs> right. what they're yeah, doing. Maybe, sure. maybe not happy, but they're willing to overspend. And <laughs> right. so there's this end, and more, most importantly, it's international. And I think sports mm. are becoming increasingly global because of, mm. of access like YouTube and Apple and Amazon saying we're going to carry these, these sports. The difficult answer is that there is no good answer. Either the leagues <laughs> are going to take a hit, the media networks are going to take a hit, and the, 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 I, I was having a conversation with someone who works at a league. I won't say which one. And I said, do your 
uh, audiences get upset that games are really scattered. And so they have to kind of go mm -hmm. to a bunch of different services or platforms or, or pay TV to kind of get their games. And they said, point blank, they said, well, sure, they're upset, but they're still seeking <laughs> them out. Like they're still right. Paying. They're still fans. And so yeah. they're, they're, they're coming to find it. And which was one, I mean, not great for consumer uh, happiness, mm -hmm. but two, really reiterated it to me that if you make it accessible to people in terms of it's, it's easy enough to find, even if that's a Google search, it's easy enough to mm -hmm. find. And ideally, it does not cost much to sign into something or mm -hmm. it's free or it's part of a service they're already paying for. They're more than happy or more than willing, I should say, to watch <laughs> that game. So YouTube, free. Tubi, by the way, Pluto TV. If I was Paramount mm -hmm. or Fox and I had sports rights, I would be like, why don't we figure out ways to simulcast to our free ad-supported platform that yeah. we're, that is huge with advertisers that we're trying to create more viewers on where sports is not really a big thing there. And we can simulcast it with what we have going on on CBS or what we have going on on Fox Sports 1. We figure that out. Again, <laughs> have to get the leagues to be in agreement, but do with a couple of games. So that's one option, right? Netflix is the, the will they, won't they always with sports. Of they course, be yes. They're not going to yeah. get in. And I think it doesn't make sense for Netflix necessarily bid on the NBA games this round. Definitely not NFL, definitely not MLB. Mm. But, you know, down the road as they experiment with the Netflix sports documentaries and seeing where their audience mm -hmm. lies, and as they increase their technology efforts, would Netflix be a good home to certain NBA games or down the line? Absolutely. You know why? Because people already have it. So they're saying, okay, cool, we're going to sign up for more. We might bring some sports people over and we can increase the prices slightly. And people seem okay with our increased price because we're figuring all these new and innovative ways to really increase our pricing power. And so your option, then, if you're ESPN, you're on the other end of this. You either say we're going to bundle with Disney Plus and Hulu and we're going to figure out a way to get everyone really happy. And I feel like that's probably going to happen. Or mm -hmm. if you're a standalone for $25, $30, $35 a month, you've got to have enough content beyond the initial game, beyond the initial leagues that's bringing people in that make them say, this is worth me paying $35 a month for on top of everything else. And that's where the more I think about what ESPN needs, and I realize the irony in this because of the pen deal, it's more of a <laughs> bar stool than anything else. It mm. is like, <laughs> it's member type feeling, it's communities. Mm -hmm. You think about what bar stool could do in real life. Again, I'm not a massive mm -hmm. bar stool fan, but they could put on, you know, they could they could buy little bars or set up little tents, you know, in different in different markets and say, like, this is a bar stool hang in, you know, Phoenix for the Suns or, or we're going to do it in, in uh, San Diego for the Padres. And we're going to figure out ways that we can bring this community together. We're going to go see games. We're going to partner with Instagram. Like they should absolutely be partnering with Instagram and TikTok to create event style things that make people feel like the more. I go to a sporting event. The more I participate with this team, I get my own social currency to then share. So that extra value of participating in the game and the community is that my social network and then my social presence, which is a core aspect of my identity as a 15-year-old boy or 15-year-old girl, is now going to spread and there's long-term value in that. And right. so all of these different participatory, interactive, high-value options are what the traditional media companies need to be thinking about. I'm with you 100% on that. And, and it'll be interesting to see whether ESPN is is the one to, to get that right or if it's somebody else. And maybe if you can build that 
whether it's grassroots or whatever it is, that, that sense of identity, that sense of membership, that sense of community, then all of a sudden maybe you can get close to where we were five or 10 years ago where the leagues are coming to you and saying like, you're, like they are right now with YouTube and Netflix saying, will you put some of our content on? Will you talk more about us? What can we do to get in business with you and, and kind of get some of that power back? And, and we'll see whether ESPN is, you know, what was that, you know, the line five years ago, 10 years ago about Netflix becoming HBO before HBO converting up Netflix. We're, we're saying, I think that same thing in sports. Can YouTube become ESPN before ESPN figures out, figures out YouTube, figures out community, figures out social conversation, all that. It, 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 it's interesting to see. Um, Joy, I think that's about all the time. I don't want to take more, more of your time, but uh, there's a million more things we, we could talk about. Maybe we'll have you on later in, in the football season to dive into some of these things a little deeper. But for now, where can people follow your work? Uh, I am at Loudmouth Julia on Twitter, if people are still there. I am also at a director of strategy at Parrot Analytics. So uh, my work is available there as well. And I pen a weekly column for Puck called What I'm Hearing Plus that publishes on Tuesdays, all about the data behind streaming. Um, oh, and I have a podcast. <laughs> I co-host <laughs> a podcast called Downstream with Jason Snell. And that goes out every Friday, Thursday or Friday, I believe. And I believe last time you said this next episode, maybe it's going to be all sports. Is that is that happening? Is that can people, if they we're, want more of your, your your opinion on sports? We're hoping. We I put that out and I said, Jason, <laughs> if we get even three people who are like, I would love a sports one, then we'll do. Because Jason and I, I mean, like you guys over over here, big sports media people and want to mm -hmm. talk about it. But I we're also aware that our audience may not be as interested <laughs> in in a full hour on sports. But we're hoping we can do it. Fantastic. Well, you can send them uh, here in the meantime. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a ton of fun. I'm Jacob Feldman. Uh, I'm on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter at Jacob Feldman 4. Uh, the show is produced by Keith Zanardi and Aaron Greenwald. Big thank you to them. And thanks to you for hanging out with, with us today. You can follow the show at Sportacast, which is the hub of the Sportico Media Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. Laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.